This is the Davis and Beetle Podcast. All right, it's Davis and Beetle Podcast. I'm Davis, he's Beetle. Hello, Beetle. Hello, how are you? I'm doing fine, doing fine. Uh, we're recording this day after Valentine's Day. Did you have a lovely Valentine's Day with your uh, significant other? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, she went to basketball, I went to baseball. It was probably, uh, you know... <laughs> Yeah, sure. Uh, it, gets. Uh, <laughs> it was a divide and, yeah. divide and conquer, go support the boys, yeah. Valentine's event for the uh, Beetleman family. Yeah, we did it out of love. That's all I can say. Well, see, there you go. It's all about love. That's what the day's about, right? <laughs> it's about, yeah, it could exactly. be about family love, about uh, the love of hauling the boys around and being... <laughs> Being in charge of their transportation. It's it's the love of driving on the front range. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so there we go. All right, so uh, <laughs> so the Super Bowl was last weekend, and everybody, you know, not everybody, Eagles fans mostly, crying about the James Bradbury call, which at first I thought um, seemed, seemed marginal, and then you watch it again, it's like, okay, he, he held it, but then... Here's the point that, that I keep making about this. Everybody acts like they lost the game on that. They didn't lose the yeah. game on that. They were already in field goal range, but yeah, Butker missed one earlier. But basically what it did was it allowed them to run the clock down and the Eagles didn't have a chance to really do anything with the ball after the, the Chiefs kicked a field goal. I, I just, you know, to, to act like that was that was the biggest blown call in the history of the Super Bowl or some nonsense like that, come on. Come on. It, it wasn't a blown call after you look at it and it didn't, it didn't change the game. And, but then again, it's also not a good look where we're talking about officials again, where Roger Goodell and his you know, lead up to the Super Bowl gives his, the officiating is great. There's not a single problem there. Yeah, that's not necessarily accurate either, but I guess, um, you know, your, your takeaways from the Super Bowl, I look, Jalen hurts could have very well been a losing quarterback winning the MVP because he, he played brilliantly. But then Patrick Mahomes, I mean, two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, bad ankle and all. It's it's yeah. the stuff that they, you know, that they make movies out of. And and so I, you know, much as I, I didn't want the Chiefs to win, I, you know, damn it, I respect Patrick Mahomes. I, I think he's a likable guy. And I think he certainly was worthy of the MVP. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, uh, I thought it was a horrible call, and I still think it was a horrible call. But I don't. I'm with you. I don't. That's not why they lost the game. Yeah, that would have been. It would have been nice to see Philly have the ball with a minute or a minute and a half or whatever it was, just to see what would happen. But that's not the reason that they lost the game. They lost the game because they couldn't stop them in the second half. Period. Right. So uh, you know, regardless of whether you think it was a good call or not, and I, I just I think it was just a horrible call to from this respect of you just don't throw that flag there. Yeah. Like, I, it, I mean, did, did he grab him? Did Bradbury grab him? He yeah. grabbed at the top of the yeah. route. He grabbed him. He did. He did grab yeah. him. He did. He did hold. And yeah. I'm with you a little bit though. I mean, the timing wasn't, wasn't the best to, to call it there. And I think like, you know, it's, it's hard to split hairs there, right? Like I, I feel bad for the officials on, on one hand, because it's like, you're supposed to call what you see and, right. and you know, you, you got to have courage. To, to throw that flag. Unfortunately, I think you got to have some brains too and understand where the where 
the, the game is at that point, then it better be really, really obvious. Like you have to take him down in order to, to throw that flag. Right. Otherwise you go, ah, I'm letting that one go. We're going to let this play out, but whatever it is, what it is. There's lots of cults throughout a game. And, and if you're coaching teams or if you're, uh, you know, talking to athletes about stuff like that, you automatically will go back to all the things that could have changed the game way earlier in the game. So, you know, you're, you're always going to teach it in, in that kind of light of, you know, they wouldn't have been in that situation if, if Jalen Hurts hadn't fumbled the ball uh, or if there hadn't been a penalty right before Jalen Hurts fumbled the ball. And, and you know, lots of little things that will pop in your head are not little things, lots of big things that happened throughout the game that changed the course of, of that game. So it wasn't just the one call. It never is. Right. And, and, so and how about... Why, yeah, how about I'll give up a sixty record, you know, a Super Bowl record sixty-five yeah. yard punt return? How about maybe, maybe cover? How about, yeah, how about maybe cover Sky more out of the backfield? You know, on, on you know tw- twice. About, I mean, just with different guys catching the pass, but you yeah. know, how about a better job defensively by the Eagles in the second half too? Yeah. I, I just you know I think you, people is particularly Eagles fans want to jump on one thing is why they lost. Well, you blew a ten yeah. point halftime lead. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying is, a, is it, you can be mad at that call. It was just pretty—I thought it was pretty bad, but it's not what lost you the game. It just isn't. Uh, you can't—you cannot draw that conclusion. It's not—that's not possible to draw the conclusion that that call lost you the game. Andy Reid, a Hall of Fame coach, he is now, right? I mean, whether you like, was I like, I like, yeah, I thought he was too. I mean, I, I like Kool Aid Man. I, I mean, I don't. <laughs> I you know, I don't like the Chiefs, but I, I kind of like Andy Reid. Uh, his family's gone through a lot. His sons have put him through an awful lot, and uh, I feel bad for him in that regard. But I think there's you know there was there was a little doubt. He's probably a first ballot Hall of Famer before Sunday. He certainly is now. Now the question becomes: Is he a top ten all time coach? Because we were looking at this yesterday. Uh, you're not moving him past a lot of guys like Shula. Landry, obviously Belichick, but man, you can put him in like the bottom half of the top 10. When you look at some of the numbers there that, yeah, he's probably, you know, probably, you know, 11, 10, nine in in that, in that range in terms of, you know, one of the greatest coaches of all time. I mean, for him to do what he's, he's accomplished, I I think is pretty, pretty remarkable. So I I just, I don't know. I think he's probably right there as being a top 10 coach in the NFL all time. I think, yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's a great coach. Uh, I, I dislike Andy Reid for no other reason than he's tormented the Broncos and now my newest favorite team, the, the Bills, for, for this time while he's been in Kansas City. So uh, other than that, he's a great coach. Uh, and, you know, I, I had this argument with somebody after the game. They were they were already in my, in, in my uh, text messages going, Patrick Mahomes is top five. I'm like, okay, that's great if you think that. I don't... It doesn't, there's so many circumstances now for coaches and backs. It's crazy to think that you can start ranking these guys by anything other than, you know, championships. So whoever's got the most championships, they're the best. That's as simple as that. Yeah. You know? So if you want to talk about Andy Reid as, as one of the best, sure, he's got, he's got a hand, uh, you know, a handful now, but, and he's been there a few times, obviously, uh, in the Super Bowl. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think he's a top 10 coach. I just think there's so many circumstances. Like, he's, is he a top 10 coach if he doesn't find Patrick Mahomes? I don't, yeah, I don't probably, know. <laughs> probably and, not because. And Alex Smith yeah. before that, and that was 
going okay, but it wasn't wasn't going like this. No, no so. kidding. You're right. I mean, and it's but that's the relationship, right? Is does is sure. Belich is Belichick one six if he didn't yeah. have Brady and no, nope, absolutely not. But then Brady went and won one without him. So right. I you know and and, the, and we talked about this fourth case with Brady, where the people look there are people like to they like to crap on Brady, and I and I get it. He's not always the most likable guy in the world. But when you look at the fact he's one seven and what his statistics are, he, you commit with him, you marry championships with incredible statistical success with, with not without great talent around him year in and year out. I mean, going back to his new England years and, and so when you look at that, okay, you know, that's in a case like Brady, I, I I can't say anybody else is greater than him at this point in time because they're not maybe better at, you know, they're guys that are more athletic and that kind of thing. Sure. But we're talking about playing the position and, and to me, he's, he's the greatest now where Patrick Mahomes falls into that. I don't know yet. There's so many chapters in his book that are still yet to be written. It's hard to say where Patrick Mahomes is right now. I mean, I, I love right. the, you know, he's got two Super Bowls. I love the, the comment about, you know, trying to, chase down Brady and he's like, you know, I don't know, but I'm sure going to try, you know, I mean, <laughs> which is what you supposed to say. That's, that's the, right. that's a great reaction to that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it my best shot and hopefully I can do it. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know if I don't really put Mahomes right now because it's a little bit like we talked about with Nikola Jokic. Is he the greatest Denver nugget of all time? Probably he is Probably, you know, in, in, yeah. in, in terms of his stats and everything. But, you know, but he hasn't gotten to the place where, you know, there, there's been no nugget that, is, you know, that's, you know, the Denver Nuggets have never played in the NBA finals. And in, in, until he gets there, I think that's, that's going to be, you know, some of the measuring stick for, for the career of Nikola Jokic. Can he get Denver to the finals? Can they, can they win the finals? Maybe it's this season remains to be seen, but, you know, Nikola Jokic, I just feel like there's so many chapters to still be written it's hard to just go, yep, this is it. You know, as far as the Nuggets, I, I can't say that he's he isn't the greatest Nugget of all time. I mean, he's he's won back-to-back MVPs. He, certainly, he's already probably accomplished that. And what he's done statistically backs that up. I just, I, just, I, I always love this conversation because when we're talking about active players, it's hard to know how things end because there's there's so much of the story that is yet to be told about them. That, that makes any sense. Yeah, it does, and and that's I guess that's what I'm getting at too. Is you know we we talk in the in my investment world now about things like uh, you you don't know if something's better unless you have something to compare it to, right? True. Well, Patrick Patrick Mahomes, he might be better than all of them. I don't know. Could very well but be. I don't have any, I don't have anything to compare it to because he is going to be married to Andy Reid and the Chiefs for the foreseeable future. When somebody else comes in and takes the reins from from them, and he has to play under their system, or he does what Tom Brady did and and goes to another team and plays under a completely different system, or Peyton Manning for that matter too, you know, then you'll have at least something to say. Oh, all right, well, yeah. it was him the whole time, you know, or or maybe it was the like people love to just say, oh well, Patrick Mahomes is just okay, but 
he's, his supporting cast is better than everybody's, and the scheme is so much better. Well, what the hell do you think makes it better? He's partially him. It's so, a bit. It's, it's like, it's, have you seen this yeah. guy and what he, the plays he can make, the insane throws, the right. You know, kind of like, and I, I, I compare Jokic him a little bit into by you know with Jokic, it's court awareness, it's anticipation, it's knowing where everybody is on the floor, where your guys are. And yeah. what they're and what they're planning on guarding, and what you can do to get your guys open to make plays. Same with Patrick it's Mahomes. The, just when you think, just when you think the play is dead, that guy doesn't think it's dead. He sees an opportunity, and right. and and he has he has good talent around him. I mean, particularly when he had Tyree Kill. I mean, Travis Kelsey is going to be a Hall of Famer. Juju Smith Schuster's no slouch. I mean, they've you know, Isaiah Pacheco has really come on. I thought Jerick McKinnon played really well for them. He's got good talent around him, but it's, it's, it's not, you know, but it's like with the case with Brady, he had Randy Moss for a very brief period of time outside of that name and Gronkowski for obviously a much longer yeah. period of time, but, sure. but, na- but name me guys that name me all these great all pro players that played with Tom Brady. Not, not too many, you know, when you, right. when you talk about guys on the offensive side of the football and Mahomes has better talent than that to work with. But still, it's it's about him. It really is about what he can do. And, and you're and, not going to get the full answer until he has somebody different. Exactly. You know, unless he's in a different city, playing in a different uniform, or he's got a different head coach. And it's, you know, and and, and, and for right now, Andy Reid doesn't plan on retiring. And why would he? I mean, they've, they've got something yeah. rolling. Now we haven't talked, I believe, since the Broncos hired Sean Payton. Sean Payton Correct. brings everything in that I like. I, I like what I'm hearing from him. Talks about who do you like to win the Super Bowl? Well, I'm sure in the hell not going to pick the Chiefs. You know, there's you fall in the Pat Bowlen thing of you know I, I'm not going to I'm not going to root for anybody in my division to do well, which I like. I personally like that that you don't want the guys in your division to to me to be successful. That's what a rivalry is about. I mean, you can like players like I like Mahomes and I like Andy Reid and stuff, but it doesn't mean that I want them to win. But I, I like the, the the message he's sending as opposed to Nathaniel Hackett, which was, gosh, my dad coached the Chiefs, and boy, yes, they're really good. I mean, <laughs> stop it. Stop that crap. You think fans in Denver want to hear that? Fans in this state want to hear that kind of nonsense? And that's part of the reason why he got ran out of Denver. Peyton will find ways to make like life difficult for Andy Reid, I think. And I think that's the, that's the key. And look, they're already, look at this roster already. What there, what there's been the rumors from Benjamin Albright of 850 KOA that Denver might trade Garrett Bowles. They might get rid of Cortland Sutton that they're looking around there. This is a roster that Sean Payton looks at and goes, we can do better than this. And I like what he's bringing to the table. I still, you know, I initially, I like Dan Quinn and, I think Dan Quinn would have done a fine job if that was, you know, if that would have happened. Pardon me, my phone's deciding to, to ring today. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, I just, I like what he brings to the table in terms of, we plan on winning this thing. I didn't, I didn't come here for us to be, you know, win 10 games, get to the wild card, you know, fix Russ's problems and, and, and have this team, you know, break out of the playoff slump that it's been in. There is a desire and a competitive nature about Sean Payton that he plans on becoming the new king of the AFC West. And that's what you want to hear. 
if you're a Broncos fan. Yeah, I, I hope he can trade Garrett Bowles for Patrick Mahomes if that's his plan. But you know, <laughs> what, what? Uh, <laughs> I but I don't think Clark Hunt and those guys are that. I don't think, I think they're a little bit sharper than that there in Kansas City. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would hope so. But you, you see what I'm saying, I, right? I, you know, you want them to have that attitude. That's absolutely the right attitude. And, and you know, can it be done? Yes, absolutely. It it, it can be done. Uh, and and I think the the biggest point about all this isn't really whether you know who's on the trading block it's that the the door's open right we're we're gonna we're gonna make the roster the way we the way we need to make it and whereas the last hire or two uh seemed to be well we have we have the players we just need you to we need you to put them in the right positions and and you know run the right schemes and stuff like that you just gotta make it work well that's fine. I mean, I, I, if, if you got the players, that's that's fine. But I, I think as we learned this year, as the as the you know the the season wore on, they didn't have the players. So, and, and yes, there was massive injury problems. I get that, but it just the roster did not perform on a level that everybody thought it was supposed to. Uh, you know, including including Russell Wilson. So. You know, I just I, I think you got to look at all the angles. If you can get value, obviously they don't have a ton of draft capital either. So if you can get some value for for guys, uh, you gotta you gotta test the market, see what you can get. If you don't think guys are performing to the level that they should be, then you you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta you gotta get rid of them, right? So, and you know, do they do they get a you know? Well, I think the best case scenario, they get a second round pick for Bowles. I don't think they'll get that for him. Sure. They're not going to get multiple picks for him, you know. It might be a, a third rounder, maybe a fourth rounder. I'm, you know, I'm not exactly sure what they'll get. The thing that I like though is it's Sean Payton coming in and saying, number one in the case of Garrett Bowles, this guy might have been really good a couple of years ago, but when I watch the tape, we can do better than this. We can find we, yeah. Russ has to have a better offensive line in front of him, and it starts with our left tackle and the current left tackle coming off you know, a fractured leg is a guy that, that is very expendable. I mean, Cortland Sutton, I mean, there Cortland Sutton would be probably be a, a great addition to a lot of teams as a number two receiver. He's no longer the number one receiver in Denver. That's Jerry Judy. And that's to me, that's not even up for any, any debate. And so I think that you've got Sean Payton, who's just looking at this roster and saying, we can go out and do better in free agency. What can we do in terms of, of draft capital along with George Payton? What can we do to accumulate draft capital to improve this roster and also maybe cut some salary that allows us some, some flexibility and free agency. I, I think it's yeah. smart. I, I think it's the way you go. And I, I just think that this, you know, this, this Colorado Rockies mentality of by golly, we got if our guys just get healthy and we're going to compete. Well, no, you, you've got, you've, you know, stop that horse crap you've got to make moves and you've got to improve your team. And I applaud the, you know, the, the Walton Pinner group and, and, and now Sean Payton for going, we can do better than this. We have to make, make, but we have to be solid. You have to be solid in the draft. You got to be solid in free agency. You can't, can't go out and, and screw it up. And with Sean Payton, I, I think your chances of that are, are far less than they were this time last year with, Gee, Kansas City is a great football team, and my dad coached there, and they're just wonderful. You know that crap from Nathaniel Hackett, which drove me crazy. So, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
I was going to say that it kind of reminds me now. I'm not saying you're going to get those those results, although it would be fantastic. But it kind of reminds me of when when Mike Shanahan was brought in. Yeah, and it was like we're done messing around. We're you know we we have lots of players that we like, and maybe they fit, but we're not messing around anymore. If they if they aren't up to the capacity that that this this coach or this regime wants, then I don't care what uniform everybody else is wearing. We're going to go find the guys that can do it. And you had guys like, you know, Neil Smith come in. And you had guys like T.J. Ward, DeMarcus Ware. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, I mean, I mean, later on, DeMarcus, I'm sorry, after. Later uh, on. Yeah, yeah. later on, I'm sorry. But but Denver was not willing, whether it was the Shanahan era or later the Elway GM era, to hold Pat. You're right. They went out and they... They brought free agents in that were difference makers, like you, like you said, with with the Neil Smiths and and guys like that, uh, that that were that 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 were pieces that they needed. They needed a bad guy like Romanowski, and Romanowski yeah. might be the biggest piece of shit around, but but <laughs> but he but he served a role for the Broncos during that period of time as a physical guy against the run. Just what they did through the draft and they did through free agency helped them win back to back Super Bowls. And then obviously later on what, what John did in retooling the, the defense and, and, you know, getting Peyton Manning obviously was a huge part of them getting to two Super Bowls and winning one. So it's, yeah. you've got to have rest roster flexibility. They've got to be able to do that. And good to see the Broncos do that. And I want to get to the Rockies for a moment. Speaking of rock roster inflexibility, um, a team that refuses to do anything in terms of free agency or, or and really, to me, improving the roster the way they need to. Uh, Randall Grichik's going to be out for six weeks. He's going to platoon in center field with Jonathan Dazi. He's got a, had a bilateral sports hernia surgery recently, so he's going to be out for pretty much all of all of spring training. Um, with pitchers and catchers reporting today, some of the rule changes are going to happen. The pitch clock, no shift, some of these things, the bigger bases, I guess just your takeaway, being a, a baseball guy, former college pitcher, guy that coaches baseball, coaches high school baseball now, are these things good for baseball? Are they are they going to make Major League Baseball better? And will they make, will they trickle down and make baseball better as a whole if some of these things uh, take grab traction and work their way down to the college level, shall we say? Yeah, and, and and I think some of them probably will trickle down pretty quickly, just just based on you know everybody trying to somehow make the game more interesting. I guess I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how to how to how to explain some of these rule changes. The bigger bases, I don't understand. I mean, I, I get that it will offer a little bit more uh, ability for runners to. Uh, maneuver around a tag and stuff like that. So supposed to help with stolen bases. Yeah, it's supposed to increase stolen yeah. base numbers. Yeah, and, and then it may increase a little bit of safety too. I, sure. I'll, I'll nod my head towards that. And if you got a little extra room uh, where there's not feet and hands and helmets and knees and all that stuff colliding, okay, you're gonna you're gonna add maybe a little more safety and, and yeah, a little more opportunity for for guys to get around a tag and stuff like that. I just don't know that it's necessary. I think you could have done you know, some similar things with, you know, how, how you get guys on and off bags and in and out of tags and stuff like that, like they've done with the, with the catching position, but whatever, that's, they're making that change. So that one probably bothers me the least because 
you know, everybody will kind of figure out what it does for them and against them and and they'll move on. The the pitch clock stuff always bothers me. I just don't, I I don't understand how you can't have uh, an umpire and two teams understand that we got to move this along. You, you, You can't take 25 seconds to get on the rubber, even though you should be allowed some of those moments in big in big moments in big time games there might be some some chess match going on where you're picking over to to certain bases because you want to you want to gain more information about what the offense is up to or you're trying to you know uh, give yourself time to get a guy warm in the bullpen or something like that but i can't figure out how an administrative part of the game that should be able to be handled by umpires and between two coaching staffs can't be handled. It just does, I don't I don't understand that. With full time with full time crews. A, with full time umpire yeah. crews. Not not and, not and, week, and not weekend guy, not weekend guys that are working these games. Yeah. These are this is their job. This is their livelihood. I you know, to me I'm I'm the you know pitter patter, let's get at her guy when it comes to pitching. Let let's right. go. Uh same with same with hitters. I mean I I understand that these this needs to happen, but I, I'm with you, Beetle, in that do we have to do we have to legislate this? Can it right. just be let's under let's all let's all have some understanding here that through the majority of this baseball game, let's get up and go. Let's get on the rubber and yeah. let's go. And get in the box. Let's go. Let's not stand out of the box, adjust our batting glove fifty times, look around, look down, you know, to, to get the sign from the third base coach for the you know the fifth time. Let's go. Let's get in the box and let's play baseball. But I agree with you. Why can't why can't managers handle this? Why can't the crew handle this? Does it have to become some now hard and fast rule to to make sure yeah, the game the game moves along? Somebody, yeah, yeah. And and I think you know you want to you want to time guys time them getting in and out of the dugout. How about that? Let's, yeah. let's get on and off the field. And that sounds little league, right? Uh, you know, hustle on, hustle off. Well, that that can be expected of guys. What, how hard is that? Yeah. That's at the big that, league level when you know, all your gear is taken care of. So, you know, it's just, I, those are the things that, that really bother me that we're going to start punishing teams or punishing uh, guys with balls and strikes or, or possibly runs or base runners and stuff like that, because uh, you just, you, you're, you're not working at the pace I want you to. No, let, just, just help administrate that throughout the game and, and make it a new habit. You know, everybody got upset about checking, checking pitchers between innings for sticky stuff, right? They've, they've worked it out. You know, I didn't, I didn't love it uh, when they did it, but it also now takes about half a second to know that you're going to get checked when you come off the field, hold your hands out, pick your hat off. Okay. On we go. You know, there's very rare occasions where it becomes a problem. And usually if it becomes a problem, it's because something else in the game has gone on that administratively somebody's pissed at. So when you have, you know, guys having a staring match while they're checking for sticky stuff, it's because they're pissed off at something else. Yeah. So if you have, you know, umpire, uh, excuse me, managers getting upset, it's, they're mad at something else. It's not bad. So that's where I say you got to be able to handle your business. Uh, if you're, if you're, you know, umpires when you're out there and moving things along and communicating with guys and doing it in a manner that they understand what you're trying to do. You're not trying to pick on them. You're just trying to move the game along. Let's yeah. go. This is part of my job. Like you know? I said, let's, let's so get at her here. Let's go. Yeah. Let's, yeah. 
Games should not be three hours and you know thirty minutes. It shouldn't be pushing four hours because guys are taking forever to get in the box, or guys are taking forever to get up on the mound. And right, and, you know, and so okay, the shift because that seems to be right there with the pitch clock. One of the more controversial things of, of doing away with the shift. My thought yeah, has always yeah. been. My thought has always been this: hitters need to know how to go the opposite way. And you have to, to me as a, as a hitter, it's, it's kind of like, and they're saying, well, you know, the guys don't get base hits anymore. I don't get singles anymore. The, the number of singles is down in major league baseball. It's kind of like the disappearance of the mid range jumper when the three point line came in. It, it's a skill that guys don't care to work on anymore. And in right. the ability to hit against the shift, the old, it's the old baseball adage, hit it where they ain't right. Being able to to go the opposite way against the shift, I think demonstrates a guy's ability. And look, if you do that often enough, if you get a couple of knocks the opposite way, guess what? They're probably going to come out of the shift, and they're not they're not going to do that anymore. It's you know, I, I just to me, I'm I understand they want to improve offensive numbers. Batting averages have been down, have dropped, and they they blame the shift on it. And I'm sure the shift does play you know bear some of the responsibility here of why those numbers are down. But, but to me, it's to take it out of the game entirely. I'm, I'm not sure that's a great idea. I'm not sure how you legislate it, how, if it's, you're able to use it in certain situations, number of time in the games, and then in a game, and then we get into, you know, more complicated rules and, and baseball already gets accused of having too many complicated rules to begin with. I don't know. What, what's your thought about the shift? I have two two thoughts on it from the standpoint of one on each side. And then neither of them have to do with being a pitcher helping or hurting the the offense. To me, it's, uh, I'm with you. Like play defense wherever you want, go for it. If you can't figure out how to, how to combat that as an uh, offensive player, that's your fault. So, you know, you want to put seven guys on one side of the diamond and one on the other, go for it. I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm going to lay down a bunt. I mean, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of what you're presenting to me here. Right. So I'm with you on that one from the aspect of what has analytics done to baseball in, in the negative manner, not, you know, analytics have done some really, really positive things. Uh, but this is one of the negative things. It, it's absolutely changed the way guys, practice and train once they get into the minor league system they no longer there's two ways to make it to the big leagues as a as a as a professional uh positional player not talking about pitchers okay there's only two ways to get to the big leagues you either are the best hitter at your position or you're the absolute best fielder at your position that's it and that's the only way you're going to make it. There's no guess in between. Guess which one they value the most. Guess yeah. And guess yeah. which one they value the most. And it's not it's not the defender. It's, it's always going to be the hitter. So why would you spend all your time? These guys are paid to eat, sleep, drink baseball, right? And their their end game is to get to the major leagues. What do you think he, they spend their time doing? You know, and it, it's of course they spend some time on defense and of course they have some pride in that. But if they're not uh, a super athlete from the standpoint of being able to cover ground or uh, being able to have arm strength, like a, like a Manny Machado or somebody like that, right. Then, then they're just kind of in the heat with everybody else. So how are you going to stand out of that heat? 
all right, well, you're going to have to hit. And you're going to have to hit a lot of bombs. And you're going to have to hit for big numbers. And so they're going to spend all their time honing that craft and being a guy that they can say, all right, we'll give him a shot because he's shown that he can hit with some pop. He can hit, he can produce some numbers for us. They don't really care what position you play unless it's a really high leverage one like shortstop or or center field or something like that. But at the same time, even if you're an average shortstop, your, your still best ability to get to the big league level is to hit. So that's what they spend their time doing. Now, at least without the shift, you'll have a more, you know, you'll, you'll have a more true training type of method from that standpoint. Right. Uh, from, from, you know, looking at, okay, I'm not going to worry so much about, you know, whether I'm hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Maybe I should worry about, hey, there's now, now there's a gap there that I can utilize that wasn't there before. Now I'm going to work on hitting more line drives and I'm going to work on being a more, you know, gap to gap hitter where guys quit doing that. They started pulling the ball, period, just pulling and, and elevating the ball. And, and they tried to hit it over the shift. And, and so now you have an opportunity for players to maybe say, all right, uh, we got an opportunity to have more field to work with that's within my natural hitting ability. I don't have to change everything I do because even when they were playing the shift, Getting to the big leagues, you weren't you weren't going to get to the big leagues by slicing balls the opposite way and dropping down bunts. You might have gotten hits that were important in in games for your minor league teams, but that wasn't going to get you to the big leagues. So yeah, it just you know, to me, it's just you know if you if you go the opposite way enough, you're going to take them out of the shift, right? Sure, they're going to stop playing you that way because it's not you know I I don't have this huge problem with the shift going away. I just feel like there should be in certain cases the opportunity defensively to, to, to try to negate what a hitter can do. doesn't mean it has to be throughout, throughout the entire game. It can be, Hey, you get to use the shift three times a game, better use it wisely. Right. Right. And I'm saying that, that banning the shift is actually going to help players hit it the other way and, and use more of the field. That's, I think that's what it's going to open up in the end because, Right now, you know, you have a, a ton of players that will basically stand on the plate and hit, try and pull everything, no matter what it is. And I'm not saying all players do that, but there's a large portion try to of hit them. try to hit through the shift, just try to rip it through. Yeah, and- yeah, and that's what they've been training to do for years, and so that's their that's their habit. They're going to go strength on strength, right? And this is this is what I've been training to do, and here's what you guys are trying to train to do, and we're just going to go strength on strength. I think now you'll have more players say, all right, I don't have to try and hit it over them all the time. I can get more hits if I stay back on balls, if I drive them up the middle, all those good things, all the things you teach when you're a kid, right? All the right. all the youth level coaching, which is all the hits are up the middle. You know, if you really want to be a good hitter, you'll, you'll 90% of the time be able to hit a ball back up the middle somehow, some way that'll start to return a little bit now because again, that's where the holes will be. There won't be two guys standing on that little right side of second base or left side of second base. However you want to look at it, depending on who the hitter is. Now there's going to be room uh, up the middle again, or there's going to be room in the gaps that weren't there before. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. You know, it's going to take time uh, for, for you to see any results uh, of that, but 
you know, I think they're doing most of this for offense anyway. So they want they want more offensive numbers. So why not tell the defense where they can stand? Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, that's, that's what'll get you more offense if you like, want. If if they already know yeah. where the defenders are going to be, you'll get more offense that way. It's always it, like, and it doesn't and it doesn't matter what sport we're talking about. It's always going to be geared to more offense, more scoring. Yeah. That's what the fans want to see. Hey, Beetle, I appreciate yeah. it as always. Talk to you next week. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. You too. This is the Davison Beetle Podcast.